Hello and welcome to Say That, podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. We started before I had a chance to cough into the microphone. How are you feeling about that? Not good. Well, I'm sure we probably won't be cursed. Yeah. So joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. <laughs> there it is. That was a good cough. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Good to be here. Okay. Do you have any noises you'd like to make? In I'm phone? good. All right. <laughs> Join us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Crash Media Church, and a man who did cough into the microphone before we started recording, almost certainly triggering Glenn's jealousy, yep. Lee Younger. Here's what I'm saying to you. This is an audio medium, so I'm going to do the people out there listening a favor and let you know that Brother Glenn is full bearded right now, and it's pretty awesome. Let me tell you what. It looks pretty um, rugged. Every year, uh, at the end of the year, we have... Uh, the thaddies. Indeed, we do the big, uh, big uh, red carpet gala where we give out the awards for the whole thing. Know. But the first award is always best beard. That's right. Okay. And uh, every year, Matt King wins. He just right. kind of walks away with it. It's kind of political at this point. Yeah, I mean, you one know, of the many things I have in common with Meryl Streep is dominance <laughs> of an award show. That's right. And uh, you know, I just felt like you know. I gotta try and get in it. All right, you're taking your shot. I like that. I mean, is it is it as strong of a beard as Matt's beard? Well, no, but you know, I had a head start. I that's right. So I'm just trying to, you know, I'm just trying to get in the game. Trying to keep things interesting. I like that. I feel like Matt's beard is is powered by like kilts and peat. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, this is, it's just a... I it, have a guy named Pete who I pay to come by and brush it. Sure, yeah, it makes total sense. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, like uh, in sports when they say we're having a rebuilding gear. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I'm doing that with a beard. Rebuilding beard? That's yeah. good. That's good. My beard doesn't rebuild, it reloads. Oh, that's, that's very good. Say. <laughs> which is an actual sports term, but also brings us to a story, which means I have to declare an emergency. Wow. A- an emergency? Oh, Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the right term. <laughs> like I a think... real call the ambulance type emergency? Well, not anymore, but we'll get there. Okay. Um, I, I bring to you from the newsline uh, a story from Teleco Plains, Tennessee. Uh, now, dear is that listener. like an urban area on there? <laughs> dear listener, imagine in your brain what the first thing that comes to mind when you think of a place called Teleco Plains, Tennessee. <laughs> Congratulations, you're correct. Okay. okay. <laughs> Is this the kind of place that might have a raccoon problem? No. Okay. This is the kind of place that has raccoon solutions. Oh, okay. (laughs) I have a feeling that's going to be part of the story to come. Indeed. So, I read from uh, the Knoxville News Sentinel, A man accidentally shot himself and his wife at an East Tennessee church on Thursday. Wow. Now. That's that's bad. Sure, yes. We will will inform everyone at the top so we can all enjoy the comedy. Everyone's fine. Okay. okay. No one's no one's, no one long term hurt. No one died. Everyone's right, fine. Right. Elder members of the I will not name the church uh, were cleaning up at one p.m. after enjoying a luncheon held to celebrate Thanksgiving. Okay. They began talking about guns and churches. Uh oh. A man in his eighties pulled out a three eighty caliber Ruger handgun and oh. said, "I carry my handgun everywhere." Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> He removed the magazine, cleared the chamber, and showed the gun to some of the men in the church. He put the magazine back in, apparently loaded around in the chamber, 
and returned the gun to its holster. Wow. Now, dear listener, that note that our writer friend put in the story is something we call foreshadowing. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's where the music changes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's a, it, you know in a movie when you, there's a close-up on, an, on a, something happening, like, I don't know why that's happening. You remember right. it for later? Yeah. 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 This is that. <laughs> Somebody else walked up and said, can I see it? He pulled it back out and said, with this indicator, I can tell it's not loaded. Okay. And then, in a beautiful pit of sentence structure, this is its own paragraph in the story. He pulled the trigger. (laughs) The gun was lying on its side on a table. The bullet sliced through the palm of the man's hand and entered the left side of his wife's abdomen. Husband and wife flown to the University of Tennessee Medical Center, where they are fine. You shot your wife. There's a in lot church. going on in the story. That's one. Yeah. yeah, we talk a lot about husband points on this show. Yeah, yeah. That's that's uh, that's a critical loss of husband points, right? There. Yeah, that's a yeah. lifetime supply wow. all gone in one yeah. moment. Yeah. It is going to be hard to win arguments. Yeah. Oh, you. There's no winning arguments because yeah. there's a universal trump card. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, she, if she stays with him, that's the only reason to stay with him is yeah, to sure. win every argument. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I said, pick up your socks. Because you shot me, yeah, now you're picking up your socks. Yeah, That's yeah. how it's happening. That's the world we're living in. Yeah. I say pick up your socks, and you pick them up. Why? Because you shot me. You <laughs> shot me. That's, I mean, like, she would get the T-shirt that just says that on he it. He shot me. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. I mean, yeah. you know. But in a weird kind of Three Stooges way, not in a mean way. Right. right. He didn't shoot me because he's abusive. He shot me because he's dumb. Yes. She could actually, she could actually just keep the shirt with the actual bullet hole in it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just, that's just, just and point at it. Like, here's point the at hole. It. Yeah, yeah. I think you have right. to. Honey, isn't it your turn to take out the trash? Points to T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'll get on it's my slippers It's just in a frame. Then. It's yeah, in a frame like right. a retired jersey. Backlit. Yeah, yeah, yep. on the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know. So we certainly feel bad for the wife. Right. Um, in a way. On, on many levels, I, yes. we feel bad for yes. the wife. Yeah, yeah. We felt bad for the wife before this day. We, didn't, we just didn't know it. Right. Um, on some level, you know, the guy, you know, no one gets to get shot in the hand. So. Sure. Right. Certainly. We, we, especially those of us up here in Chicago, but Lee as well, we have a lot of experience having empathy for people whose troubles are entirely their own fault. Sure, right, yes. Right. We can have yeah. empathy for that. But there's another, an unseen character in the story. Hmm. Someone off stage when this story ends, whose story is really just beginning. Ah. That's right. And that's the pastor. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> because I'm sure everyone has, you know, been at a church where. You know, somebody parked and blocked in the neighbor or something. So right. we have to get up and give an announcement. They have to pull their car around. And then off in the next week, you know, at the beginning of the service, or maybe if you have a little announcements period before you release kids or something, they'll say, you know, just to remind everyone so we don't have it, what happened last week. Just, you know, here, we're, we're just updating everyone on this policy. Right, that's right. What does this dude say? Because <laughs> <laughs> everyone knows it happened. Well, here's the thing, because we work with pastors. That's part sure. of our, our things. It's, it's you know a big part of my job at this point. And and the thing is, a lot of pastors struggle with trying to find some kind of way to work all the way around the conversation and not really hit the nail on the head. Sure, you yes. Know. Sure, maybe we can put up some kind of sign of yeah, just any. Please kind of, don't shoot anyone. Yeah, any any passive aggressive option. That's what we're looking for. <laughs> but the beauty of it is. There's just none of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Either option A, let them all shoot each other. Right. Yes. <laughs> which will solve the problem. Uh, sure. Yeah. Or 
You just stand up and say, really? Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> Do you know, nothing else, just those words. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> just... <laughs> In crescendos of inflection. Yeah. yeah, just look at each person individually in the room. Really? I mean, really. That's the entire 25 minutes of the sermon. Yeah, that you're in line for communion, and yeah, as they're that's taking right. the Eucharist. <laughs> really? 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 Is that, is that really what we're doing Go ahead and here? take it. Really? Is this the world we're living in this now? This is the body that was really? broken for you. Really? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think that's outstanding. Now, Jed, it falls to you often at our bridge service yeah. where um, unique challenges arise. Sure. So in your experience with giving certain amounts of explanation on these things, right. how would you maybe approach this? Well, it's a great question. As, as we know, there, there are many kinds of Jeds, and they, they would each give really their own <laughs> approach to oh. an announcement. So I think it's worth asking, uh, what specific flavor of Jed? is going to give this announcement on this very important Sunday morning at this church. Well, I think that depends on how this church has been behaving. Okay. Because I think if, you know, we're getting towards the end of the year, maybe, maybe donations are down. Maybe, uh, you know, prayer meeting attendance hasn't been exactly what you'd like it to be. So instead of an opportunity for, you know, just simple giving of information... Maybe this is an opportunity for leverage. Mm. Mm. Maybe we can guilt these people into being a little more committed since this happened. Mm. And I think we know just the Jed for that job. Well, I'm glad that you summoned me. Oh. And <laughs> oh, he's worse than Beetlejuice. I didn't have to say it once. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> I won't say that it is a privilege to be here. Um, I feel my services no, are... whenever it does. Usually a result of a sad necessity, um, a lack of commitment, a lack of devotion to our Lord. But on this Lord's Day, as we are gathered in his house to worship him and to praise his grandeur, I make note of the frailty of life. Man riseth up, and lo, is brought low yeah. by a Ruger handgun. Uh, right. Let me ask you, brethren and sisters, this question. Were you shot... Today, by a Ruger handgun, owned by a person who does not know how to operate a handgun, <laughs> or engage in basic firearm safety, the kind small children are taught in Cub Scouts, were that eventually to happen, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? No, oh, everyone remember. Hey, wow. there's the yeah. angle. There's Suppose the angle. that the medevac to the Tennessee hospital <laughs> took too long, <laughs> and now you stand before your lord and maker. What would you say <laughs> in that moment? If you're not prepared to answer that question, either pray the sinner's prayer or keep your handgun properly, (laughs) properly safe away from other people. Maybe do both. Maybe Maybe do both. both. Also, it's important for that to for that bit to understand to for everyone to know that um, legalistic Jed also did Cub Scouts in Florida. Yeah, which is where the Cub Scouts learning to handle firearms. Bit may have come up. Oh, right. is that is that not a common thing? Not really. No, oh. it's more pocket knives <laughs> everywhere else. <laughs> oh yeah, no, we uh, we definitely shotguns. Okay, so. well that seems. I would say I would make fun of Florida for doing that, but being someone from Tennessee, I don't really have a leg to stand on. Right. In did, this particular conversation, did, I I have to weigh in here now. Sure. I come from gun nuts. Yes, we recognize the uh, gentleman from Texas. Okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and. 
And and there are varying degrees of gun nut. You yeah. understand. And I and I am related to all all of those all kinds all, all stripes. Kinds, yeah. But but I understand. You know, I grew up in a household where uh, you know we were taught the safe use of, of sure. firearms. Uh, you know, uh, we we went hunting. You know, mm-hmm. I, I hunted with my father many times when I was young. Uh, but here's the thing: not in a bajillion years would it occur to that man to bring a loaded weapon to church. Yeah, in the country. <laughs> Bless ya. I say this as a man who works in a neighborhood. Where there is gunfire going off. Yes. When we're trying to have church yes. on a regular occasion. Unless you're a hosting member, in which case we will tell you that those are just fireworks enthusiasts. That's right. I am telling you, I know well enough to know you don't need your gun in That's rural right. Tennessee at church. Lee, as both someone who currently lives in Tennessee yeah. and the pastor, it brings home. Yeah, I just uh, I'm trying to think of how uh, how this rural Tennessee pastor is going to sidestep or or keep it you know nice. And I'm thinking one announcement might be if you are having marital problems, <laughs> make an appointment with the pastor. We do provide marriage counseling. That would be one thing. The other thing that <laughs> that occurs to me is the uh, the the ever popular. Uh, as the Apostle Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of Christ. That's not to be taken literally. You do not have to put a hole through your hand. Please keep it at home. Yeah. yeah maybe you didn't understand the stigmata, but A, it shouldn't be self-inflicted. And right, it doesn't right. go through the belly. It's yeah. Not yeah. Really how that works. Well, I think we did a lot of good there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think. And, and just to tack a, sure. a little button on the very end of this, if you tell people i take my gun with me everywhere and this is the level of expertise and yeah. <laughs> uh, ability that you have with it eh, maybe uh maybe don't take it with you anywhere yeah that's you just you don't know how to point. work that piece of equipment so well, yeah you're, you're presumably taking it places because you think a bad guy might come in and try to shoot everybody right but you're the bad guy now. Yeah. This is a literal... You shot somebody. This church. is the literal definition of your worst fears make your worst fears come true. <laughs> you are the terrorist at church shooting everyone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but for some reasons, the news didn't describe it that way. We don't have time to go into that. I can't um, think of what those would be. White on white crime. <laughs> so no one ever talks about it. I got it in there. Yeah, white on wife crime. <laughs> oh. And before we say anything that's going to get us any more in trouble... But I'm definitely leaving those two in because they were so well done. I declare emergency off. Ooh. Safety, hopefully on. Wow. <laughs> no, yeah. Now, we have not gotten around to doing how to forgive your husband For when he accidentally shoots you both at yes. church. Yes. And it'd be hard to write upbeat pop songs about that, I think. <laughs> but if anyone could do it, I think it is. Our friends who contribute music to Bridgebox... Um, where you get multiple songs every month, you get sermons from Glenn and myself, all based around that topic, Bible studies, only $8 a month. It is the number one way that people like the show can support the work we do up here in Chicago and work lead us down there with youth in Tennessee, missionusa.com slash bridgebox. However, now we have a secondary plug. Because you can now get some of that music that we have created for the Bridgebox, and even was pre-existing, uh, 
on the Spotify's, the Apple yeah. Music's, Amazon Music, anywhere you what? download or stream music, you can get a 22-track album of worship songs performed and recorded live at The Bridge. Anywhere you buy music, you can search Jed Brewer or The Bridge Worship in your Spotify's and Shazam's and whatnot. I don't think that's what Shazam does, but eh, you can try it. it's on there. It was on the very long list of things. I realized I was really old and I was filling this thing out and like, you know, it goes on these music services and there was like 35 of them and I'd heard of four of them. Sure. Yeah. But we're yeah. on all of them, apparently. Sure. So check that out. Stream to your heart's content. And uh, we'll, we'll throw a song on the end here as a little preview of that. But right now we're going to jump to our first question. It comes in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox. Hang on with us all the way to the end and I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with this. This question says, how can I recognize toxic people around me? Those we should let go away. And Lee, why don't you start us off on this one? Um, I'd love to, and I'm actually going to kind of, uh, kind of go at this from a different angle. Um, and and but I think it's an important thing, uh, important issue of this, because I don't think a lot of people think this way. And and I and I usually encourage people to think this way as they kind of move into healthier relationships in their life. And that is, uh, I think when we're kids, you know, you go to like when you go to school. You have like, let's say you got 20, 25 people in your classroom or something like that. Well, those are all your friends. You know, you, you, you're friends with everybody. You all have the same classes every day. You eat lunch together. You, you know, you play, you play basketball together in gym class and the whole thing. And when you have a birthday party, those, you know, all those kids are there. Those are all your friends. And you kind of grow up like that in school, having a bunch of friends, everybody in your grade, you know, you might have some drama with somebody or you might have a falling out with this person, but you got all these people in your life. And I think that a lot of us kind of grow up under the impression that that's the way life is supposed to be for the rest of your life. You got a, a bunch of people in your life. They all have, uh, they all have a point. They all have an equal say, and they're all your friends. Um, one of the things that, that I try to encourage people when I'm talking them through getting healthier relationships as they grow older is the idea that I have a very small number of people in my life that I trust, uh, that I trust in such a way that they have the right to have influence over the way that I think, over, uh, they have the right to have input over decisions that I have in my life. They got pushback over the things that, that I do that they see going on in my life. I'm friendly with a lot of people. There's a lot of people I pray for, a lot of people I minister to, that kind of stuff. But I have a very small circle of people who are my actual, these are the folks who are my closest friends. They have my back. They are not afraid to get into my face if I need it. They are my encouragers and that kind of stuff. And basically, <laughs> this, this may sound a little... This may sound a little off-putting or a little weird, but basically nobody else in my life has credentials to speak into it. Um, and at first that sounds like, whoa, are you just kind of shutting people out of your life? But I think what happens is a lot of people have a lot of senseless drama in their lives because everybody in their life has just as much volume as everybody else. Everybody else has just as much right to speak into their life. Everybody else's everybody's opinion matters as much as everybody else's. And what you're going to find is uh, you shouldn't give everybody in your life those kinds of credentials. You shouldn't give everybody in your life a VIP backstage pass to be able to tell you what it is and to be able to say what their opinions are about everything and that influences you or even give that a second opinion or a second glance. 
Um, I've got a very small number of people, and and I want those kinds of people to have certain characteristics. This this is where we actually start speaking to the specifics of your question. I want people in my life who are not toxic. I want people who are encouraging. I want people who know me, who are wise, who, like I said before, they have my back. I have no question about it. They have my back, and they are not afraid to get into my face when I need it. Um, people that I serve them, they serve me. I take care of them, they take care of me. That's a small circle of people. That's people who have earned my trust, and that's people whose trust I have earned. And then outside of that, I'm friendly. I pray for folks. We hang out. We can be you know, friendly and all that kind of stuff. But they are not in the circle of trust in the way that they have the ability with, if they misbehave or something like that, that's not going to wreck my week because they do not have a, ba- a backstage pass. This is a thing that as we grow older and we have more and more healthy, uh, healthier and healthier relationships, that, it, that we know it's okay to refine that list of people. And we can discern the difference between having folks in our lives with whom we have rapport and we're friendly, but they are not on the inside circle so that they, are, they have the ability to kind of uh, to to you know to to wreck my emotional state or to turn my week upside down or whatever. I want to manage that group and I want to make sure that I have healthy, encouraging folks in that group. That's a really fantastic place to start this off. And Jed, love to get to you here. Uh, Lee's given us a really good framework for kind of the there. As he says, there's going to be a lot of people in life you interact with. And yeah. who that group is will change kind of as you move from school to work, to church stuff. And there is definitely a difference between uh, what we would call acquaintances or buddies or something and this kind of people you really want to be able to speak in your life. And there is a third aspect of that, I think, that needs to be acknowledged when we're talking about toxic people, which is people we need to uh, actively work to keep at an arm's length. Yeah. People we need to limit contact with as opposed to not initiating more contact with. So maybe, first of all, how do we identify that? And then how do we take those first steps on doing that? In a way that is, I think one of the things that trips people up here is the idea that to do that to someone is inherently unloving and unchristian, right. which isn't true. There's a way to do it and be a big fat jerk about it, sure. which we want to avoid. But how do we start to identify who those people are and start to do that in a healthy way? Okay. Those are great questions. Let's start by looking at the word toxic. So, because that's not a word that we use with people terribly often, you know, unless we work around counseling stuff. We, we normally think of toxic as in something that's poisonous if you eat it. And uh, the way, the right way to identify a toxin is to look it up in a book or Google it before you eat it. But if you eat something toxic, you'll know because you'll get violently ill. That's, and that's how you know for sure you've eaten something toxic um, is it has an awful, awful effect on you. All right. Well, toxic people work the same way. They're, they're poisonous. Um, and the way that you can tell is you look at the fruit that just interacting with them bears in your life. It's the same thing. If you eat a toxic food, it will produce bad fruit in the form of you getting sick. If you interact with toxic people, here's a few examples. If you consistently feel discouraged, if you consistently feel beaten down, belittled, depressed, disgusted, angered, if if you got, particularly if you've got a couple of those things consistently when you interact with someone, then what we can say for sure is th- something about your relationship with them is toxic. 
Now, if we wanted to be super kind, we could say maybe it's not just that they're a toxic person. Maybe there's a dynamic there, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, But still, though, there is a toxic effect. And we want to recognize that and we want to respond accordingly. Thing number one is if you discover that something is poisonous, stop eating it. I can't emphasize this enough. I'm not a registered dietitian, but I'm pretty sure that's a good place to begin. Similarly, if you are dealing with a person and either they are toxic or there's something about the the relationship that is toxic, then we need to for sure take a big step back from that. Um, the Lord is not calling you to be in relationships, again, where you consistently feel discouraged or beaten down or belittled or looked down upon or put down upon or taken advantage of. Those are not healthy relationships. Glenn's going to talk in a minute about the idea of abuse, and that's stuff that's in the direction of abuse. God's not looking for you to, to be up in that. But Matt, your other question was, how do we begin to take steps on uh, asserting some boundaries without being a, a big fat jerk about it? I think the place that we begin with that is by recognizing, almost philosophically, you must be a steward with yourself. Um, Mm. You must be a steward of your own mental health. You must be a steward of your own emotional health and, of course, of your own physical health. But God has granted you a mind, a body, a spirit, and you must be a steward with those things. It is, in a sense, bad stewardship to allow someone else to just damage those things needlessly. That, that actually is bad stewardship, and bad stewardship is not okay for Christians. So we actually have a duty to uh, lessen this effect. We, we have, it's not so much that we're trying to do something selfish and figure out how to make it Christian. It's more we have a Christian duty to lessen this toxic effect in our lives. That's, that's what we're looking at. So the only, again, the only real way to lessen a toxic effect, particularly in the short term, is to limit the exposure. There's not really another way to do that. That's going to involve, at the very least, less time with this person. It may mean no time with this person, um, but it will certainly mean less time with this person and in more controlled circumstances. This is one where the specifics are really going to depend on your situation and the nature of this relationship, who this person is, who they are in your life. So if you're dealing with a person that you're pretty sure has a toxic effect on you, we'd love for you to contact us and email us and give us a few details so we can help you kind of uh, structure a solution that'll work specific to those um, conditions. But for sure, it's not that we are trying to be selfish and find a way to, to make it Christian. The godly thing is to not let people bring toxicity into our lives. That's absolutely right. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to close us out here and maybe doing a little more digging in the very good road you had to start us down there and identifying some of these things. Because right. I think he's absolutely right that toxic people, toxic relationships is a term that gets thrown around in certain spheres kind of online in life, which is fine. It's a very important concept and it's mm-hmm. one that's worth really knowing about. But it can be... a non or ill defined. Yeah. And there uh, is is there a difference between someone who's just kind of jerky and someone who's toxic? Yeah. Can someone be doing their best and still be toxic? How do we draw those lines? Well, yeah, I think it is it's a super important question to ask because uh, I, we use a lot of these kinds of words interchangeably, and that's mm-hmm. a big problem because people who are going through real suffering can sometimes use the wrong word to describe that suffering. And because they're not meeting the definition of that word, they're not given the appropriate amount of sympathy and understanding. Here's the thing, is if your boss hits on you, that's an extortionate type of situation. It's not 
abusive and it's not toxic. Mm-hmm. If you if you have uh, someone who's physically aggressive towards you and puts their hands on you, that's assault. That's not abusive behavior. You know, I don't know if we would describe that as toxic. I mean, it's it's an assault. That's you know, someone randomly mugs you on the street. You're not in a toxic relationship. That's with right. Person. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So we had to come up with the right words. And I, the word I want to zoom in on is abuse, because mm. the thing about abuse is, again, we often use that to describe anyone being mean or uh, really negative or what have you, uh, uh, and sometimes to describe something that's physically abusive. But the what I would the way I would define that word abuse is when you're going through pain and there's no point to it. Mm-hmm. There's a negativity, but there's no point. So, for example, a parent might see a child that's about to wander into traffic, and that parent may really grab that child in a firm way, get right in that child's face and say, don't ever, 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 ever do that again. Don't ever let me catch you playing around where the traffic, whatever. This is super important for you to understand. This is life and death. There's no coming back from making some mistakes in life. I know you're three years old. Work it out. Don't go into traffic. That's 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 being very negative, if you want to put it in that way. It's an unpleasant interaction, and it's unpleasant by design, but there's a point to it. There's a reason behind it, and a good one, that, that you know, a better a little bit of a negative moment and a little bit of negative reinforcement to to keep you out of something that could cause you to lose your life but the same parent speak speaking the same way because they to a child because they've had a bad day and they just don't like that the way that child is looking at them or something like that that's abusive because there's mm-hmm. no there is no purpose there's no point there's this it's just senseless suffering if we look at it in that context and and i really go back to the stuff that lee was talking about there are people in our life that are, that are in that outer circle who act that way and need to be kind of moved one concentric <laughs> yeah. ring out, you know. Yeah. Farther it, out, yeah. Exactly. As, as Lee is saying there, the people in the inner circle, it's almost inconceivable that they would act toxic because uh, uh, otherwise they need to not be in that inner circle. Right. If you're in that outer circle and, and you're just acting funky, why are you even in that circle at all? Let's go ahead and just, again, move you a little further out. Um, uh, but to kind of uh, put some some legs to that uh, and, and flesh it out a little bit more, we always talk about one-way relationships versus two-way relationships because I think that's important to, to define here in terms of analyzing this. So a two-way relationship is a relationship that's meant to be mutually nourishing, mutually supportive where we look out for each other. So that might be a friendship, that might be a marriage, for example, and so forth, where we're, we're meant to, there's meant to be a, a certain amount of reciprocity there. We don't measure that thing for thing, but there's, a, there's generally we're supposed to be supportive of each other. If you're putting a lot more into that two-way relationship, a lot more than the other person is putting in there. And it's always that way. It never deviates. It never deviates. Then, then again, that's somebody who needs to be moved to that further out ring of our lives, yeah. to that outer circle of our lives. That doesn't mean we don't love them, we don't care for them, whatever. It just means 
this this is this is a two way relationship that's not going two ways. Now, second kind of relationship we would define as a one way relationship. So that's a parent with a child. A child's not meant to nurture and support their parents. Uh, that's if they do that, it's great, but it's not expected. A pastor with a lay person. Again, this is meant to be. I am here to minister to you. A, a, a therapist with a patient, and so on and so forth. Uh, in that case, what we're looking at, the way we would evaluate that is different. And what we would look at there is, is this person listening to the stuff I'm saying? And are they, are they giving it some, uh, some weight and some gravity? Are they wrestling with it? It doesn't mean they have to agree with us. That doesn't mean they go along with whatever they're going along, along with. But if you're, you're seeing somebody who's acting funky and you're saying, dude, as your pastor, as your mentor, as your Bible study leader, whatever, as your you know, uncle or whatever the relationship is, I need you to understand this isn't, we can't, and this is, let's not. Um, so if we can't say yes to both of those things, am I, in a two-way, am I getting roughly out what I put in? Uh, in a one-way relationship, is this person really listening and giving uh, some some weight and some gravity to that and wrestling with it? Then they do. They belong in that, that outer circle of our lives. And some people, we hold at arm's length. We love them, but we, we keep them out there a little bit. I that's a really great way to cap that off. I would I would just add to that before we move on. Um exactly as Glenn is saying there, I think one of the misdefinitions of a toxic person is it has to be someone who is intentionally inflicting harm in order to as to go back to what Jed and Lee were saying, to justify uh, bumping them to that circle to justify it. And that's really not true. I a lot of us the most toxic people in our lives are people who have the best intentions. Have the best intentions and have every um, reason to act the way they act in a way of they are not healthy people themselves. And none of that is an excuse. And none of that means you have to give them a, a certain amount of your time or energy. One of the uh, smartest things I picked up from uh, one of the men at the table who will go nameless because I'm not sure if this is a public thing is the idea of all my relatives have a countdown clock. It may, some of them it's 12 hours, some of it's 24 hours, some of it's a long weekend, but I know that at the end of that time, they're going. That's as long as they can behave. <laughs> so I'm getting in the car and leaving before then. Yep. And yeah. that again, if you just say that kind of dryly, that may seem mean, and that may seem like you're, you're cutting out. But that is the healthy boundary of that relationship. Is if you can only pull off twelve hours before you say something that either hurts me or makes me want to hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> then that is how long this relationship can be healthy for. And we can be here and hanging out for, you know, this 12 hours, but then I, I got to hit the road. So, right. um, and again, none of that is it's 12 hours until you intentionally say something mean or throw something at me. It's just, that's, a, that's the best you can do. Yep. And we have to acknowledge that. And that's, I hope that's a lot of good stuff on a kind of miss uh, an under understood topic, but those are some really good ways to get you going on that. And as Jed pointed out, if you have a specific situation you want to, you want us to talk you through, we're happy to do that. Say that podcast at gmail.com for longer questions. All right, we're going to jump to our second question here. This came into that very email address. This is from our friend David down there in Charleston, South Carolina. Right Now, David did uh, want me to add this uh, caveat, which is very important. If you are a board game enthusiast in the Charleston, South Carolina environs, let us know, and we'll give you David's contact information, because dude is serious. He is. And that brings us to this question. It says, I recently picked up a new game that looks really fun, but some of it is a little rough. 
There's a page of rules about how a failed fireball can cause chickens to rain down from the sky, and that's really funny and crazy in a Harry Potter kind of way. I love that. However, the next page is detailed rules for summoning a demon, pronunciation guide included. I know it's a game and all that Dungeons and Dragons and satanic stuff is just nonsense, but some of this stuff does weird me out a little bit, makes me uncomfortable. How do I know where to draw the line with stuff that isn't sinful, but may just not be good for me? And a really interesting question, something I, again, go back to the first question, I think really gets underexplored. Yeah. And Jed, love to start with you on this, and maybe if you can give us just a little bit of context for the specificity of the Dungeons and Dragons type stuff, but... There are some patterns here yeah. with things that aren't sinful that people try to blow up into being that. Yeah, yeah. Well, so if you're um, either a younger person or you've not really heard of this Dungeons & Dragons thing before, just really briefly, Dungeons & Dragons is like a super involved board game, basically. So, um, yeah, it's a board game with a ton and ton of rules and plays, it takes a really long time to play. And now, you, each individual creates a character and inhabits that and whatnot. Exactly right. Exactly right. So it's like a combination of like improv, you think of like improv comedy and a board game kind of smashed together into one thing. Now, let's leave D&D aside for a second and talk about Christian culture. One of the things that Christian culture has done for as long as I've been alive, which is an increasingly long time, <laughs> is they find something to be afraid of and yeah. then they completely freak out about Woo. it. It's the worst creeping evil that has ever been and it's going to destroy us all, y'all. <laughs> right, we, right. Unless we stop it and we probably can't. Right. Okay. Right. So for example, when I was little, the worst creeping evil in the world was communism. Right. Godless, godless communism. Yeah, the Russians are coming for us. We can never get them to shut up about it. Exactly right. <laughs> and Christians have stayed course on that to this very day, right? Sure. No. 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 Super are, are not. Are there not a lot of sermons about how Russia's evil now? No. no. That's no. weird. Very few. They just like totally drop that and don't care about it anymore? Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right. They're bored with it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Okay. Now, it may sound silly to you, the idea that people would have something they'd be totally freaked out about, and then they just decide they're not anymore. But actually, Christian culture does that. They just, it moves in cycles. They're, they're freaked out about something, and it's the worst thing in the world. Dating is another example of that. And then all of a sudden, we're not afraid of it anymore. So it's, it's fine now. Well, in the 1980s, this may sound really super weird, but I promise you it's true. In the 1980s, one of the things that Christian culture was completely wildly afraid of was Satanism. As in devil worship. Yeah, it's coming to get you. Yeah, as in, in your town, there are people putting on robes, sacrificing a goat. Right. And they they want your kids to join their devil cult. Yeah, yeah. It's coming. It's going to happen. We need to uh, arm ourselves. Exactly right. There's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do about it other than buy my book or my training video or my cassette series or my VHS tape. Those are all for sale in the Narthex. So, you know, get on that. Now, I, again, I know this sounds, if you weren't alive at that time, this has got to sound just completely crazy, but they were massively afraid of Satanism. And the thing is, when you're afraid of something, particularly if you're trying to make money off it, which the Christian culture is, you look for things to kind of keep that narrative going, because you got to have right. fresh stuff to be cells. afraid of, right? That's just how fear works. You can't stay the same level of afraid forever. Okay. Around the same time, there's this board game called Dungeons and Dragons that comes on the scene. Um, it, it turns out there are people who, who play what are called tabletop strategy games. If you think of the game Risk, um, where you're trying to take over Europe, it's like that with a really thick rule book. Um, there are people really into that. In the 1970s, some guys said, what if instead of you know Russia versus Germany, what if it was elves versus orcs? Because people like Tolkien and The Hobbit, and that's cool, and we could do that. And then it was Dungeons it, and Dragons. But is it cool? Uh, to a certain kind of people, it really is. Um, we don't so, have time to litigate this again. 
And there, there's a lot to cover here, so I'm trying to go quickly. So um, you got your elves, you got your orcs. We'll have them fight, and that'll be the game. Neato, super cool. It's called Dungeons and & Dragons. And then, Matt, as you pointed out, we're going to add in almost like an improv element. There's like an interactive story, and there's a guy that kind of sets up what the story is, and then each player is like a character in that game, and we make decisions, and sometimes we fight orcs, and sometimes we solve puzzles, and it's super cool and super neato. And the main thing is it's all pretend. It's all pretend. It's all totally right. make-believe. Uh, if you were, you know, 14 in 1977, you're like, that's awesome. That's super, sure. super cool. Like a Led Zeppelin album, but on a board. Yes, very <laughs> much like that. Okay, now you've, you've heard me describe all this. You might say, okay, well, what's the deal? What's the problem? All right. Well, the people that are afraid of Satanism, they need something new to keep the Satanism fear going. So they say, you know, this D&D, there's magic in it. Like Ooh, some right. of the characters, they can like cast spells. Mm. And you know what spells and magic are? A cult. Right. And that's bad, right. and that's pretty close to Satanism. So, <laughs> Narthex. D&D is satanic. Get my tape in the Narthex. Okay. <laughs> now, you might say, that sounds completely crazy. That can't possibly be true. Except 100% of that, every detail is Dude. true. Oh, if you yeah. thought that, you've never met any Christians. Yeah. Here's the deal with D&D. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons was a convenient target that fit the propagandistic needs of 1980s pseudo-Christian fear mongers. Mm-hmm. That's what you're looking at. Now, here's why we went all through that through all that for you. If you're younger, you don't play Dungeons and Dragons is the important thing to know is that still happens. That cycle of somebody's going give, to give Christians something new to be afraid of, and then he has a book for sale. That's happening right now today. Right. That's a money-making strategy. That's right. someone who wants attention, power, and money. If you look and you see that all of a sudden your friends are afraid of something, again, for example, dating, people created that. They invented that to make money. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what that is. It won't last forever. It'll last just long enough to make a lot of money. The proof of this is that we used to be deathly afraid of the godless communists in Russia. They're the worst, and now they're our best friends. They did it before. They are still doing it right now. So don't let yourself get suckered by the latest thing we're afraid of so that some dude can get rich. It's a fantastic place to start us off. And Glenn, I'd love to go to you here, and let's let's widen this out a little bit and look at David's specific question of, so there are things in media, just in life, that are not the overblown, creeping evil that uh, certain uh, people would have us believe. Right. But there are things that just don't leave us with a good feeling in the pit of our stomach. Right. And right. That, those are very different things. I think part of what Jed's pointing to is there are certain forces in Christian culture who want you to treat those things exactly the same yeah, and bar anyone from dealing with them. But if we're not insane, right. we're not trying to sell a beta series in the Narthex right, right, in 1984, right. there's a lot of beta left over. Absolutely. Yeah. We guessed yeah. wrong on that one. Folks. Yeah, that's right. Um, how do, how do we as an individual make, start drawing that line of maybe fine for other people, maybe fine for me right, later, but right. for right now, I just don't feel great about it. Well, I think it, it, that is an important distinction to make. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to make a very nuanced argument, which, which I know is not optimal. When we're, we're never going to sell books that way, Glenn. <laughs> When, when I'm dealing with Christians, that's not the best. Ooh, can we be afraid of nuance? Yes. <laughs> nuance is the worst evil in the world. You know what godless heathens like Glenn Fitzgerald want you to fall into? The sin of nuance. <laughs> that's right. It's not even uh, an American word. That's right. That'd be funnier if you couldn't get on cable news with that tomorrow. Go ahead, Glenn. Yeah, so here's here's the thing. 
Um, I think the value, the positive potential value anyway, of uh, whether it's Dungeons and Dragons or Tolkien or uh, anything that's fantasy-based, so that's a certain amount of your your um, science fiction stuff is has a fantasy element of it. A lot of comic book stuff is fantasy-based and so forth. Uh, I think the positive potential of that is that it's allegorical. That is, yeah. it's a representative of what's going on, and it's making a point. It, uh, you know, if you think of a lot of old classic uh, uh, Star Trek episodes, they had sort of they were making an interesting point about society, and they were just showing you from a different angle through this uh, thing with aliens and whatever else. So really, it's not about the aliens or whatever the things are. It's kind of what is this putting forth and is that something that you want to get into or is it not um i think uh there's there let's start by saying this there are a lot of times when something isn't a big deal but the lord will still nonetheless kind of nudge me and say that's not the no that's just not why don't we just not you Uh individually though me individually and it's really important to listen to that and respond to it. Uh, I think there are times, I, I wouldn't say this for sure, but I think there are times when the Lord just gives me that nudge as sort of a test of the emergency broadcast system, just, you know, <laughs> so, that, so that, because otherwise I would go on what I think is a big deal, yeah. and what the heck do I know? Sure. So I can't always trust myself. I'd rather tr- trust that little nudge inside me that the Lord's given me to say, yes, eh, maybe that's not for you, you know. And it doesn't mean I'm on some sort of slippery slope necessarily. It just means I'm listening to what the Lord is is saying. So I would would pay attention to that. Um, There's another way of looking at this, which is if it makes you feel a little weird, why do it? Mm -hmm. You know, that's if there's, you know, you like the board games, but there's a zillion board games out there, and there's lots of different things you can do. Uh, if this one makes you feel a little, eh, then just move on to the next one. You're not enjoying that. But I'll tell you why I think we sometimes talk ourselves into doing that is because there there are times, and I see this a lot in cool, actual, actually solid Christian culture, is they sort of work over time to prove that they're not legalistic. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was talking to a group of, of pastors from a denomination that were remain nameless, but it's one of the one of the more conservative, uh, and I don't mean politically conservative, I mean religiously. Uh, In a sweatery way. Yeah. And uh, they were talking about how they had like a meeting, like a regional meeting, and uh, after the meeting broke up, there was like a hot tub outside the, the little conference center where they were, like a, I guess it was in a hotel or whatever. And so they all got into the hot tub and they were smoking cigars and uh, drinking uh, whiskey or something. You know, Whoa, or you guys are hardcore. You know? yeah. <laughs> but they, and, and, you know, I'm talking about having like a beer, uh, yeah. not, you know, really drinking. Um, but they were sort of doing it really, and they were describing it to me later. One of the guys who was talking to me is like, you know, at some point I realized this is kind of stupid because we can get away with it. No one can tell. You yeah. know, we wouldn't do it in front of our congregation. So there's that. And there's nothing wrong with that, and and so that's fine. But we were just trying to prove to ourselves that we could get away with it, and just just like, hey, see, we're not like those other yeah. legalistic people. Here's the thing, uh, that's not worth doing. Um, you you don't have to get yourself involved in something that's not okay to prove that 
uh, or, or maybe even just kind of borderline in some sort of way. You don't have to flirt with that line to prove to yourself that you're not legalistic. Yeah. You're not if you're if you're a fan of this podcast, you're definitely not legalistic. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you know, and so therefore, um, really give yourself permission to go for what what appeals to you and yeah. what you enjoy, and don't yeah. feel like you have to push that because you don't want to go down a slippery slope of legalism mm-hmm. going the other way. That's that's not really a concern either. I think that's a really great point. And Lee, I'd love to get you to, to build on that. I think part of what uh, Glenn has given us there, which is very important, is also you shouldn't make your decisions based on the idea that you have to have total internal consistency. You know, I think a lot of the studies say, well, why is, you know, I'm, I watched a horror movie and why is that okay, but this isn't okay. There must be, it must mean something, man. <clears throat> Um, some stuff just doesn't mean anything. It's just yeah. as, as Glenn is saying, you know, eh, it's just not for some for some reason. I'm I'm fine with this joke. I'm not fine with that joke. This I like. Yeah. That bums me out. And I think part of that is looking, having a little transparency about what we want out of these activities, and acknowledging those feelings. Right. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, I think that one of the important questions that I think Glenn brought up is that uh, that there's a different line for everybody on all of these things. I think there's a couple of issues to look at. One is, there's definitely a spiritual element. If I'm a person that that knows and follows Jesus, ostensibly, then he is going to be leading me and talking to me, as Glenn's saying. He's going to be giving me that nudge. Um, and that that is going to be different for me than it is for you, for, for the other three guys on this podcast, for your next door neighbor or that person at church. And that just that sentence right there for my whole church upbringing that would have been completely alien yeah, that that wouldn't make sense in any part of the the spiritual environment i was raised in the way i was raised was there is one correct way to live in all matters yeah. um there's there is good music and bad music there are good political candidates bad political candidates there are correct ways to spend money. There are awful ways to spend money. There are there there just wasn't. It was it was very everything in life culturally, everything. It was all. It was it was just a cookie cutter way to to live. You just stamp out every single person's version of righteousness and stuff like that. And so, from a spiritual perspective, exactly as Glenn's saying, recognize what Jesus said to individual people was: "You follow me." You forget what they're doing. You follow me. Don't worry about what that guy's doing back there. I'm talking to you right now. And me responding to that thing. And I think I need to ask myself certain questions. If I want to live as a person that follows Jesus, there are certain questions I need to ask. Are the, you know, uh, what is this doing for me? How do I feel when I am a part of this? And this ex- expands beyond, you know, just, uh, you know, David's question with the with the tabletop game, but also, you know, just in other media I consume or the way I spend my free time or any of that kind of stuff is what is Jesus leading me in? Can I be honest about that? Is there, and I think this is an important one. Is there anything, um, is there anything in my life that I'm not being transparent about with the people that are closest to me? Um, is there anything in my life that I'm hiding? Um, is there anything that I don't want anybody to find out about. These are some indicators. These are some things that you want to, that, that this is where you can know, like, I'm not really open in this thing. 
I'm into something. I don't want anybody to know. I'm I'm not really open in, in that way. That's a you know that's these are the kind of questions you want to ask yourself. But there's a whole other area to, for me in all of this kind of media consumption and stuff like that. Questions that we want to ask ourselves, which is and it kind of goes outside of the spiritual, which is just why 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 do, why am I doing this? Do I like it? Um, it, yeah. what, what what about my taste? What is it giving me? And, um, you know, and I think that one of the, some of us, we have these decisions made for us because the crowd's doing it. So um, it just straight up seventh grade peer pressure. Um, an example of this in my life was, you know, there was a certain TV show. Everybody was just, this is the greatest show of all time. And the, I never seen acting like this and the whole deal. And I was like, cool, I gotta, I'll check out the show. And I watched an episode of it. I turned it off and I thought to myself, I have never felt worse in my entire <laughs> life. I feel so yeah. horrible. I feel hopeless. I feel sad. And this is my day off. Yeah. Like I should not feel and then the next day off rolled around the next week and I was and I queued up episode two. You know, it was everybody's like, This is amazing. Did you see the thing and the way that storyline with the blah blah? And so I watched episode two. And uh, about 30 minutes after it was over, I realized I was like, I, I, was, I had a short temper. I, I felt pissed. I was just like, everything, I, I hate everything. I don't even want ice cream right now, you know? And it was just like, and I, it was about halfway through the third episode that a thing, you know, something awful happened. And, and I just was like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. I don't care that everybody thinks this is the greatest thing in the history of cinema. I don't want to do this. And so outside of the spiritual issues, exactly as Glenn's saying, uh, there's a thousand tabletop games or there's a thousand different TV shows. You know what? All your friends can be watching that TV series and you can just miss it. And guess what? It's not that big of a deal. And, but I think that in order to make some of those decisions, we have to realize my walk with Jesus is an individual thing where he leads me as my Lord and I need to learn how to follow him and be transparent and honest with myself about what those things, how those things affect me and what he's asking me to do. Two, I need to stand up for my own tastes because it's my life and I'm the one who enjoys it or endures it. Mm-hmm. And so those are some of the things that we have to think about as well when we're looking at this stuff. That's all fantastic stuff. One small thing I'd add on the end there, following exactly what Lee's saying is the other thing, and this is not really a spiritual point, but it's just a life point. Um, once you buy the thing, you buy the record, you buy the game, you download, you stream the series. Um, you're the boss on that. So yeah. this idea that you have to suffer through every in and out because <laughs> it's this uh, this author's, you know, is taking you on this journey. Screw that, man. I have, you know, particularly like if it's some like TV series that I love, that there's some episodes that's not they're bad. It's just there's something about the plot of this that just bums me out. And when it comes up on the Netflix, I just skip it because. Yeah. Yeah. What the heck? I don't care. Right, right. I it's not that I'm not uh, you know missing the whole milieu of you know this long term story arc. This is a product that I purchased. Mm-hmm. So if it's uh, kind of cutting stuff out in here, you know, skip a chapter in the book or whatever, that's fine to do. As these guys are saying, these are, these are things that hopefully as we kind of mature and grow into more of a sense of who we are and how these things fit into our lives, that those be, those things become just a lot easier to make those cuts here and there. We're going to move on to our final question here. This came in anonymously, and it says, How do I know if my partner in a relationship doesn't show enough respect for me, and is that a red flag? 
For example, things like they are constantly late and apologizing for it, or they lose track of time when they're supposed to hang out with me because of work or social functions. And Glenn, two, uh, two separate questions there. Maybe let's start out with this idea of, and I think we can pretty quickly get over, is your partner disrespecting you a red flag? That would be a yes. Right. And we on this show know from red flags. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we can be definitive on that. But let's start looking at these ideas of, it's actually almost like the first question. What's just someone having personality foibles they need to work on mm-hmm. versus something that is a show of disrespect to me? Well, yeah, I think uh, ultimately um, part of the problem here that I see you doing here is you're trying to assign motive mm-hmm. to this. Uh, it, and at least on a show with three people who are chronically late on it, we would like you to not do that. <laughs> that's right. Lateness. Yeah. If you can, if you, if you understand what I'm saying here, um, if I step on your toes, it doesn't matter whether I had a good motive or not right. from the standpoint of your toes. Sure. It should make a difference in the way that I interact with you. If you intentionally step on my toes then I'm going to deal with you one way. Uh, but if you accidentally step on my toes, I'm going to say, hey, uh, watch where you're stepping. You step on my toes, that, this sort of thing. <laughs> Either way, I'm going to confront the behavior. Either way, my toes have been mashed. So um, the problem comes along when I say you stepped on my toes because you're a bad person mm-hmm. or you don't care about me or you think your feet are more important than my feet or whatever it is uh, because I don't know that other person's mind. So trying to assign that and and have that be part of the confrontation really is problematic. Uh, you're trying to say, okay, you're you don't respect me. That's why you're doing this. I think it it in a certain way it ignores the the uh, the force that bad habits and and if you continue forward from habit into addiction, the force that those things have in their lives. Is the behavior disrespectful? Well, it, it, if it gets to an extreme, yeah, you know, it's it's. It, if you respect my time and you're just blowing me off because you don't think I'm important, then yeah, that's that's a disrespectful thing. But if someone has a, a work habit, in in the case of this question, uh, where they're, or I, I'm, I'm maybe I'm reading that into this. Uh, you know, they're constantly late because they lose track of time for because of work or social functions, right? So, if you're if you're uh, if you have bad work habits, if that's what's really going on here, then it, it's not a matter of a lack of respect. It's just the presence of a bad habit. Mm-hmm. So, in my mind, either way it goes, saying trying to argue out the, the respect level just takes us to a negative place. And the problem with that is you've got stuff that needs fixed on you that's driving the other person crazy. What? <laughs> that's right. Uh, so we all have stuff we need to change. And they'll, they'll throw that back in your face right away, of course. And this, is, this is how relationships go wrong. You shot me with a gun in church. <laughs> you shot me. I'm going on the cruise. Why? Because you shot me. <laughs> well, that doesn't change the fact that you were late for lunch, Helen. <laughs> that's right. It's, yes. kind of a, it's kind of a damp squib at that yeah. point. Yeah, no. It, 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 ulti- ultimately, it's important for us to recognize the power that habit uh, yeah. has in our life, and uh, rather than vilify that uh, as bad as it and damaging and unpleasant as it can be, uh, let's find a way to approach that from a positive standpoint. If you want to change a habit, uh, deeply ingrained uh, bad habit, uh, you're going to find that 
negativity, doing sort of negative reinforcement, is very weak on yeah. making mm-hmm. that. The only thing weaker than, than negative reinforcement is willpower, which is almost of no use whatsoever. So your plan moving forward needs to have, yes, negative consequences. If you're late, you know, a certain amount of times, here's the penalty on that, whatever have you. Uh, but it needs to have as much positive reinforcement as possible. You know, uh, I, I've seen these uh, uh, apps on the phone where it's like where you 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 try and do something new that's good, and it's like it records your streak. Oh, sure, like how it gamifies it. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly, it gamifies it. That's great. I mean, that that stuff can if you're the kind of type A personality that's overdriven at work to beat everything and win everything and do it to the fullest, you just put that into the app and into the streak and into the positive thing of, of uh, a change in this habit, and it all works for you instead of against you. So I, I think if, if you could set that up, and, and, and both of you pick a habit you want to change at the same time, and kind of commiserate with each other and talk about what makes that easier to change or harder to change, what are our triggers... You know, how does it work so we can get as much understanding going as, pos- as possible as opposed to uh, sort of the blaming and, uh, and assigning motives and, and that negative viewpoint, which will really shut down all of that. Absolutely right. And, Lee, I'd love to go to you on this to kind of give us maybe the the counter to what Glenn's ex- explaining that can go wrong there of yeah. sitting on something. And um, a big problem, not only in romantic relationships, but in any kind of relationship where um, things like this can balloon is when the person who is on the receiving end is a lot madder about it than the person on the doing of things end has been informed yeah. and that there's a certain imbalance there. So what are some healthy communication tips before we get to, and I'll let uh, Jed kind of mop up the identifying disrespect aspect of this, but we have a pro uh, someone be that, as we're saying, you know, romantic partner, certainly, but friend, church person, person yeah. at work, a habit that is driving us nuts that could be an indicator of something more. How do we get to the point where we uh, communicate to that in a healthy way? Well, I think that that is the whole key. This is an interesting thing because there's something that happened to me when I was reading the question initially, which is when I read the first sentence of it, you know, I'm in a relationship with somebody and they're disrespecting me. And so like immediately in my emotionally, I'm like, dude, I'm on your side. We're going to get after this and then full is lemon that's a deal breaker yeah and then when i (laughs) and then as i kept reading it it was like like you know they're not on time at stuff and then you're consistently late at the thing and i'm just like matt i'm like i'm late at a lot of stuff and so i was like i'm like trying to be on your side i'm a little less on your side (laughs) as as i continue to read this question that's just me being completely honest just because i'm like oh man i do this to everybody in my life um and Here's the thing I think that's interesting about this is I know how you feel in the sense that like that, you know, that I guess what I'm saying is I respect the fact that you feel disrespected. I want to be on your side on that. And I I can see how that is a disrespectful thing. On the other hand, um, as a person who sometimes is five minutes late to stuff, just, uh, you know, for whatever reason, um, I look at that and say, oh man, I hope that people in my life don't feel utterly disrespected by me on that, or if they did, that they would have that conversation with me in such a way that, that I would know it. Um, and, and I think that the thing that this, that this tells me is, and it's, it's not that it tells me this, I know this, especially being a person who does 
you know, quite a bit of not only premarital counseling, but like marriage counseling with, with folks who are, you know, having a hard time at, you know, after they've been married and stuff is that almost any behavior, if unaddressed and continual could become a, the thing that just drives somebody fricking insane, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not me picking on you. That's that, that it, nothing is more under, understandable than that, that if, if it, if something if something drives you nuts and it just continues and then after a while it's hard not to attach not only it's hard not to attach uh, a sign motive to it but to even start writing a narrative about it you know in your mind you just start writing the story about this person and what what it is that why they're always this way or why they always do this thing to you and that's why for any relationship that's going to have any degree of closeness, intimacy, cooperation, teamwork, whatever, you've got to be able to, you've got to have an environment where you can air grievances, where you mm-hmm. can, where you can, uh, where you can respectfully issue complaints. We don't want to do straight up criticism. We don't want to criticize this person, but we want to be able to say, hey, there's a thing that's happening that is that that I'd like for us to talk about and see if we can work together on creating a strategy to to nix it um, because it's it's causing a problem for me. Here's the thing, and for young folks who are not yet in a serious serious dating relationship that's going to lead to marriage one day or something like that, you have no idea what those issues are going to be. Yeah, you you don't know what's going to bother you yet, but it's it's coming. Just keep on living, baby. It's coming and it's going to bother you. It's going to bother you more than you thought you'd ever be bothered by anything. And what you have to be able to do is, it, just like anything else in a marriage or a close relationship or a or a uh, employee, you know, a, a, a work relationship or something like that, is that you've got to instead of sitting across the table and tugging, you know, like a tug of war situation, we've got to be able to have the, uh, a conversation where we're sitting on the same end of the table, looking at this from the same vantage point, and saying, how can we work together and come up with a strategy as a team? to eliminate this or to change the way it feels or something like that. And and exactly and it goes back to some of the stuff that Glenn was saying because if I attack you on it then you that is not a good motivator. But if you approach me with some some goodwill, I'm going to assume goodwill and we're going to have this conversation. That but here's the thing on that. That has to happen early. If you just repress it, if you just drink it down, if you just deal with it, then eventually uh, you're just going to go off. It's going to be a volcano type situation. We can't have that. That means that when stuff bothers you in an important relationship, you got to be able to talk about it, period. If it feels like a little thing, got to be able to talk about it. Talk about it as a little thing. Let's come up with a, with a strategy as a team and let's work through it so that it doesn't become the issue that feels like the ultimate disrespect. That's not me picking on you. I get it. I get it. We all have this stuff. We don't know what they're going to be. But if we can talk about it with in a respectful way and work as a team to come up with a strategy and move towards each other with some goodwill, we can really eliminate these things. Every relationship will have them. Every single relationship. There's no made-for-each-other couple out there that has mm-hmm, none of this mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. Every relationship has it. We have to learn how to manage these things as a team. It's a really fantastic building point. And Jed, let me get you to close this out here and let's move on to talking about this idea of disrespect and okay. kind of identifying that. And maybe as a lens to do that through, I will, I will uh, 
take us to throwing people out of church. Okay. Which is something we occasionally have to do at the bridge. We're nice about it. We give them food. But one of the phrases that you, that you and Glenn both use a lot when we have to confront someone on that is on the first round, because there's a round system, is I know you don't mean anything by it. Yeah. But. Yeah. I think that may be the closest analogy to the situation we have here in our question. Of, okay. I know that you don't mean anything by being late every time we have plans. Mm-hmm. I know it's city traffic and you're busy and working, whatever. But, and, tell, and can you explain to the people how that, I am saying this, I am telling you how I feel, now this makes disrespect a lot easier to diagnose mm-hmm. and why that's an important tactic. Mm-hmm. Well, let's ask for a second, what is disrespect? Which, you know, is an important question, and we may find it's a little bit difficult to define because it's uh, a fairly abstract concept. To to show respect for someone on some level is to value them and to value the things they value. That's, That's what it means to respect somebody. And therefore, to disrespect them is to not value them sufficiently and to not value sufficiently the things that they value. That's that's what disrespect is. But now here's the funny thing is... um, it's not exactly disrespect if you don't know what they value. Um, it may it may function like disrespect, but uh, it's kind of not because intent really does matter here. It does make a difference. Kind of like Lee is saying, um, you have to talk about this stuff. You know, I mean, um, you've probably heard, and it may sound almost cliche, but it's super true. The foundation of any good relationship is communication. And... Um, Yes, if you have a relationship where a person is consistently failing to meet expectations, that, that is a problem. But we do have to ask if you've articulated your expectations. If, if you haven't told a person what's important to you, it's actually not appropriate to assume they should just know. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, as a sidebar, um, the phrase, they should just know, if you want healthy relationships, you need to kill that permanently. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's that's just poison for relationships. Yeah, I shouldn't have to tell you that kind of stuff. Shouldn't have to tell you, you should just know, no. Um, if it's something like cheating, then yes, they should just know. They should know that <laughs> cheating is bad. Other than that, you need to tell them. That's that's how life works. And I think it's worth asking, are you afraid to articulate the things that are important to you? Because if you are, mm. that's a problem in and of itself. And that's something that you need to work on. And also, just to build on that, there's a fear is definitely one of the things. And also, as you're pointing out, have you bought into a false narrative that Lee pointed out to you that if this is a good relationship, I shouldn't have to say this. Exactly right. Because that's another attitude that leads to these unhealthy things we're talking about. Exactly right. There is no such thing as a relationship that's so great that you don't have to have these kind of conversations. That's there, right. There's just no such thing as that. Now, Matt, to your point, you know, we will have people show up for the bridge that are drunk and we can't have that for a lot of reasons. One of them is that we have people there who are actively in sobriety programs. They're not allowed to be around people who are inebriated. So, you know, we have to ask those folks to go home and sleep it off and try again next week. And as you say, we're very, very sweet about it and loving, and here's a plate of food and I like your sweater and please come back. (laughs) But one of the things that we do say is, I know you don't mean anything by it. We're saying, I know you are not intending to show disrespect to me or to this program or to God's house. Um, you know, it's these things happen. I'm, I'm understanding of that. But you're also right that that phrase, in a sense, only really applies the first time. Um, once I've explained to you, this is a meeting for people in recovery. It's actually a problem if you're here stoned. I need you to not do that. If they, if they come back stoned again, 
they may not mean a dis- disrespect, but it kind of is at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. now we, we have to ask a few questions that, that will deviate from what we look at at the bridge. Here's the first question, and it's really important, and you need to not go with the default Christian answer is, how much do you want this relationship to work? Because mm-hmm. um, you're allowed, if you're not married, to just say, I'm not feeling it. You know, yeah. uh, I told you this thing was important to me. I don't feel like you adequately replied to that, so I'm done. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not you being unchristian. Right. It's not necessarily you being petty. It, it depends a little bit on what the thing is, but it, you're totally allowed to just do that. You don't, you don't have to give them a third or a fourth or a fifth chance. You just say, I'm, I'm done. And you need to understand they have that right towards you, too. Um, you know, and guaranteed you're doing stuff that's driving them crazy, just so you know. For, for some of us, we're aware that we're doing stuff that's driving other people crazy. Um, for other people, it's like, how could that even be possible that I would do things that would bother someone else? I, I can't even imagine. But you are, because we, we all do. We're all, we're all people. We're, we're all fallen. But we need to ask, how much do we want this relationship to work? If you don't want it to work, then kill it. Be sure. done. Move on. If you want it to work, then the thing that we need to get into, which is actually really, really good training for marriage, is to recognize that most struggles are complex and nuanced and multifaceted. You know, the idea of, well, you wouldn't believe this jerk is home late, like 15 minutes late every time. Can you believe the nerve that he would do that? Can you believe it? Have you thought about making dinner reservations for 15 minutes later? Exactly right. Exactly right. It, it turns out, I mean, just, just as, a, as a quick thought. So my wife and I come from the polar opposite ends of the spectrum on schedule. Hallie's um, a military veteran. In the military, if you're on time, you're 10 minutes late. To actually be polite and respectful is to be to anything 10 minutes early. I grew up in Miami. Um, in Miami, if you show up at the time that's on the invitation, that's rude. No one is ready. You're not supposed to be there for an hour. Um, everybody grew up in a culture, a culture of their family, a culture of their school, a culture of their right. church, of their town, of their state, of their district, their nationality. There are a million bits of cultural nuance of why people make the decisions they make, why they approach things the way they approach them. The, the thing about relationships is you're working to get on the same end of the uh, to get on the same end of the rope to to get on the same page to be working together as a team but that means we kind of need to give our partner the benefit of the doubt to not demonize everything they do that yeah. it's not the same as saying i've decided i don't care about them being late anymore it's not that but it's saying there's a journey for us to work through together to get to a place where we're on the same page and here's the word i would leave you with as, as we're closing up and that word is context Mm-hmm. If you want to work through things, if you say this relationship is worth something to me, I want to work through things. Communication is critical and particularly context. Asking why do I feel the way I feel and why do I do the way I do and why do they feel the way they feel and why do they do the way they do and talking all of those details, all of them, all of those details out in a judgment-free zone. We know the end goal is we need to get on the same page on the on-time thing. Uh, That may be a compromise between how they see it and how I see it. That's okay. But 
we need to get on the same page. That's where this is going to land is us being on the same page and having something we can both live with. But the journey to get on the same page is talking out all the details of why we are the way we are and how we got there and our assumptions and our beliefs and our hopes and our fears and our doubts. Does it sound like I'm describing a three-hour conversation in order to get on the same page about being on time? Yes, I am. That's how you do this. And that takes us back to how important is this relationship to you? If you don't want to have a three-hour conversation, date someone else. That's, that's how it works. Good relationships are built on the back of 10 million three-hour conversations about relatively small Preach. things. Say that. Absolutely. One a small thing I'll tackle on the end of that is another thing when we're dealing with these kind of gray areas is we that's different than maybe um, you can't come to the bridge high because that's kind of a binary. Right. We don't really get into how high are you. Yeah. Because right. that's kind of a self-defeating thing. But on something like this, there is a there is room for growth. There is, and that this has to be uh, talked out. As Jed is saying, there is room for. We've gone from I was late because I totally forgot you existed yep. and was playing the video game. I know that's bad, <laughs> and we've moved to late because I missed a bus. Yeah. So these are not exactly the same thing. Progress. We want to look at some progress there, but as, as Jed is saying, that w- once again to gauge those things. We need to be able to, to look at that. And this all, for me, does come down to um, respect and disrespect. And a lot, a lot, as we're saying, there are some things that are just so egregious that they are obvious. But a lot of these things, you have to be willing to draw that line. And again, that is what healthy relationships are all about. And you have the skills and the courage to do that if you sum it up. Thank you for listening. We uh, are going to leave you with a song that is available on the Spotify's and whatnot. Yeah. This is one of our live worship songs. This is called Save Me From My Sins. This is a deep Jed Brewer cut. I'm going to take out that. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you, God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast like a church basement full of accidental gunshots of wisdom. Wow. <laughs> Sin is the lie there's something He's holding back That which is best From my account Jesus saved me from my sins Get me on my feet again Jesus saved me from my sins Give me mercy once again Oh